to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Just uh, as we drew to conclusion there, I just had a, a sense that there's uh, a couple of you, maybe more than that, but are having a, a, a tough time with the idea of new. And I don't know if that's, you've given up the possibility that that could be you, that, 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 that you're just kind of stuck in what you're stuck in. Or some of you, my sense is that this has been a season of just real wonder for you. And you're not willing yet to let, it, let the wonder go um, and, and have empty hands again. It's just been so good, so sweet, you know. Um, you don't really even want God to do anything new. But God isn't the God of um, encore. He is the God of new. And as, as difficult as it might be, I'm going to invite you to take just a second with me this morning and just sit open hands and say, Lord, you get to decide what stays and what goes. Can you do that with me? Let's just put our hands, uh, in, bow your heads if you feel comfortable to do that. But I feel very particularly for some of us that are, we're having a, a tough time letting go of our stuckness. We've kind of begun to define ourselves by same old, same old. And I want to pray for courage to continue to have hope and faith and to not give up. And then also, Lord, I just pray for those who are just really enjoying this season and and are just reveling in the sweetness of it. You've been so good. And we want to kind of squeeze every last drop of wonder out of it. And we don't want to let it go. We don't want to move on. And at the same time, Lord, we recognize that the best way to ruin the gift is by clinging to it. And so, Lord, we just sit open hands, open hearts. We're not in charge of anything really important except saying yes to you. And so we say yes. We say yes to the sweetness of the moment that may last and may may not. Uh, we say yes to the possibility of new. And I pray, O oh God, for courage to let go of both our being stuck and of the wonder of your blessing. Lord, we recognize that our biggest barrier to new is the wonder of old. And so, oh Lord, we just say, you can have that too. And uh, pray for courage as we sit with open hands to uh, say yes to whatever the new might be that you bring us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so today I want to talk about being, um, at least potentially, uh, we're in the story and the way, of, at least potentially of being disappointed with, uh, with Jesus. Um, have you ever had one of those Christmas gifts that you got? You kind of just unpack it and unwrap it, and, and then you get it, and you think, "Oh, uh, okay, <laughs> thank, thank you." I, I, I think, right? I'm wondering if that's not exactly how maybe Mary and Joseph felt, because remember, I mean, I, I don't want to I don't want to freak anybody out, but. I mean, when you have angelic announcements about the birth of a child, both of you independent, right? A dream in the middle of the night that redefines, reshapes your whole future. This sense of, you know, shepherds showing up, right? Uh, 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 and, and, and they have amazing stories of angel hosts and singing, Glory! 
all that wonderful stuff, right? And, and, and then you get the baby and it's just like, well, cool. Because he looks like every other baby that you've ever seen in your whole life. He doesn't glow. There's no halo. Nothing. He's just, he's just there. And, and, and he does what babies uh, tend to do at that age, which is not like much. But they still need to be cleaned up after. Right? So you have this kind of reality going on, right? And, 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 and then and then. So I want to look at that. Uh, the Gospel of Luke and Volume 1, Volume 2, Luke Acts is where we're going to be over this, for the bulk of the year. Um, just thinking about the way of Jesus, the way of following. Uh, in the ancient tradition, uh, typically you would have a couple of, uh, of paragraphs of introduction before the main event story starts to take place. And so in Luke, uh, that's exactly what we've got. We've got two chapters of introduction so that the readers of the gospel would be able to get a picture of, of what it is that we're going to be talking about over the next um, number of chapters. And he would, uh, he, Luke follows exactly the protocols of the um, kind of literature that he's writing here. So he's giving us a couple of snapshot stories. Remember that... that that God's primary way of communicating His deepest and most important truths are by story. That's still the same today. The, the way God communicates to us more often than not is through story. Uh, and, and so, in these stories of the first couple of chapters, uh, we see a snapshot of who this man whose story we are going to read beginning in the third chapter, what he's all about, where he comes from, what his, his kind of credentials are, uh, who attests to him. So this is where we're, where we're at here. And we'll pick it up at the, as we come out of the, the end of the birth narrative. We'll pick it up at Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 22 through 40. I'm going to read uh, just a, a paragraph. I, I usually like to read the whole story and then come back. But I want to just kind of read a paragraph at a time and just talk through what's going on uh, in it. Uh, so we'll pick it up at Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to Luke 2, verse 22, and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Um, so baby has been born. They've taken him uh, last week uh, to be circumcised as, uh, on the eighth day as a common Jewish tradition, receiving the name Jesus um, and, and all that that means. Now we'll pick it up at verse 22. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young Pigeons. So we'll just keep that up there for a second. Snapshotting. Remember, all we're trying to do here is get a sense of who he is so that when we get to chapter 3, we've got a, a kind of a foundation to build on. So here we have, in these, in these couple of verses, a snapshot. Um, they, they are clearly devout Jewish uh, couple, right? They are waiting uh, after the time of their purification. That was a 40-day period of time if you had a son, 80 days if you had a daughter. Notice that Luke has shifted the language a little bit. Not her purification, but their purification. So he is suggesting that this family is a family of, of, of high degree, a high degree of, 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 of piety, of, of religion, not religious sentiment, but they were devout Jews. This is going to be an important story as we go along. So 40 days after um, the birth of their firstborn son, uh, they, having stayed in Bethlehem, make the journey two miles up the hill to Jerusalem, to the temple, and um, present him to the Lord. So her, uh, typically the, the mom is purified uh, after 40 days after giving birth. Prior to that time, she's not able to go to temple. She's not able to participate in the sacrifices. 
But this purification now is the sign, but they also take advantage of both purification of her, but then also them presenting their firstborn son. Um, the understanding was, and this is an important piece I want to just underline, that children were a gift from God and that they belonged to God. So if you wanted to raise your son or your daughter, you needed to redeem or uh, present your son or daughter with a, an offering that would redeem that son or daughter so that you would receive them back again from the Lord. We do this very similarly with baby dedication, right? We recognize that if we have children, they're not our kids. They, we have received them from the Lord. We dedicate them. We give them back to the Lord. We consecrate them to Him. Then we receive them. It's kind of this exchange model now, however, we're not their parents, we're their stewards. We are stewards of God's gift to us in our own children. And especially is this the case with our firstborn son, or, or uh, particularly in this culture. So we see here a devout family that, that is receiving now this son. And please notice the symbolism of this as we go on. There's a recognition that this boy, like all firstborn sons, are really and in fact the Lord's. And we are now stewards of the gift in this, in this son. Right? And this is what they're doing. Uh, and, and when it says here that they are offering a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, this is a, um, a, a unique statement because typically you'd offer a, a, a lamb in exchange for a son. Who is it that offers a couple of, of, of doves or two young pigeons? Well, if you go back to the passage in Leviticus that's referred to here, you discover this is the offering for the poor. This is the offering for people who haven't the financial resources to make full redemptive sacrifice of a lamb. So what does this tell us about Mary and Joseph? That they're a poor family. That they are, they are stuck in poverty, which is a very common, common uh, identifier in, in, in this culture. So this is a, an offering as prescribed for the poor. But now this is going to give us a snapshot to one of Luke's main themes, that this um, Messiah comes as, as one of the poor. He is not one, of the, one of, the, um, of the high and mighty. He's not one of the great. Remember, Darren made the point here a couple of weeks ago it, that the story of the announcement to Ze of Zechariah of John's baptism, uh, excuse me, birth, would make sense. But the, the story of Jesus' coming to Mary wouldn't make any sense. So he is making a, a, a statement for Luke that this is a devout family, this is a righteous family, but it's a poor family, and this is a poor man's Messiah. This is a poor man's offering. And then we go on here. So, so this is a family that's framed in covenant, and one of the major themes, that we're going to underline this as we, as we go along. So we go on the next time, next slide, says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So again, they're coming up from Bethlehem where they've found temporary lodging. Their, their son is 40 days old. Now, they are coming into the temple courts. They are going to make an offering both of marking her purification and their presentation of the son. And meeting them in the temple courts is this man named Simeon, who, as it turns out, is going to function for them as a priest. He is described in very strong religious language. He is, he is righteous, he is devout, and he has been waiting for the consolation, for the hope, for the promise of God to Israel. But here's the key thing about Simeon. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Notice three times in this one paragraph, the Holy Spirit is referred to. Another major theme for Luke, pay attention to the work of the Spirit. But Simeon particularly is somebody upon whom the Spirit rests. This is unusual. Usually in the Old Testament understanding, which is where we still find ourselves culturally, right? 
the Holy Spirit comes on somebody for a time and a task. When that time is passed, when that task is completed, the Holy Spirit leaves. But now the Holy Spirit has rested on Simeon. He is somebody who has a heart set on knowing, honoring, pleasing, loving God. He is a righteous and devout man. He finds himself, just so happens, in the temple on the day that this young poor couple brings their 40-day-old son to be dedicated to the Lord. And so he is, he is filled with the Spirit. He is waiting for the hope of Israel, the Messiah, the deliverance that God promised. The Holy Spirit is upon him. And somewhere in his journey, he has been received revelation from the Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Christ. Right? So now he comes into the temple, coincidentally prompted by the Spirit. Luke, remember, is setting up the story of chapter 3 on. So we ought to expect this theme of the Spirit's impulse uh, to continue throughout in, in, in terms of the role of the Holy Spirit. So he's there. By, by coincidence, no, by driven by the Spirit into the temple courts. Now we move on to this next slide. When the parents brought in the child Jesus for, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon is the one who took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, uh, glory of your people Israel. This is a, 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 a strong statement. Joseph and Mary come in, they present their son, and Simeon is the one who receives the son on behalf of God. And when he does, he sees in Jesus the fulfillment of promise. What promise? Both. The personal promise, you won't die until you see the Lord's Christ. But he also recognizes that in this Jesus, he sees the promise of God to Israel. This is the hope. This is the consolation. This is the promise of God to Israel. He sees this empowered by the Holy Spirit. His eyes are open. How many of you recognize that you can see things in the Spirit that you can't see things in the flesh? If you have eyes to see. If you don't have eyes to see, you're just going to be disappointed. It's another baby boy. Do you see? And this is going to be a theme because throughout Luke's gospel, there are people who are going to see and people who are not going to see. Guess what makes the difference? Whether they're attending to the sight empowered by the Spirit or the sight empowered by natural ability. This is going to be a theme for us. So Simeon sees Jesus and he recognizes, now I can die in peace. He had received the promise, right? You won't die until you receive Messiah. You see Messiah. Now you've seen Messiah. I, I can die in peace. This for him is not a death sentence. It's a new life sentence. He's invited into a new reality. And that, that, that uh, testimony of, of the, 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 the work of the Spirit here, as you have promised. Uh, and let's go on to this next. Let, no, the last. Sorry, John. Uh, back up one. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have promised. So in this, please notice that Simeon is wanting to say something else, setting us up for chapter 3 and on, about who this Messiah is. He's not just the Messiah of Israel. He is the hope of the world. He is the promise of God for all people. A light for revelation even to the Gentiles. This is, this is pushing way past Simeon's understanding of what he had been expecting. In fact, the promise of God to Israel viewed, polit was viewed primarily politically. We get a general. We get a, a commanding officer. We get somebody who will, will lead us into battle against the Romans. And Simeon is saying, no, from the very get-go, prepare yourself for a Messiah who will disappoint you. Because his primary mission is not the deliverance of Israel from Rome, but the deliverance of the world from sin. 
So there is a now 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 that's that's good news if you know that you're a sinful people who need deliverance. It's bad news if you're Israel waiting deliverance from Rome. Do, do, do you see? So so here's Simeon and he's making this declaration. And, 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 and again, another theme, I, I want to keep underlining these so that when they start showing up in the next uh, uh, few months, you'll start to see them uh, where Luke has this, the place of the Gentiles, the place of the outsider. We've already got him with the place of the spirit, the role of the, the excuse me, the role of the spirit, the place of the poor. Hugely important for Luke. And this keeps coming up. And here's another one. The Gentiles have place. The outsiders have place. In fact, Israel is going to be for the glory of God and the glory of Israel. Israel is most fully glorified, seen for who they really are, when God is glorified as well. Notice the response of Mary and Joseph. This is a a common uh, theme. There was. Uh, wait a minute. I missed one here in, in here, John. Sorry, I probably got this lost. Here's what the text says: The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, "This child is destined to cause the following falling and rising of many in Israel." To be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Why does Luke say that? Well, first of all, because they were. But second, this is Luke's signal of somebody who, by faith, receives what happens as revelation from God. When a miracle is performed, notice how often in Luke the idea of marveling shows up. They get it. Now, now again, 40 days. What happens in 40 days of having a baby? They set, life settles into a new routine. It settles into the new normal. Now we do what we've always done, but now we've got extra luggage. Right. We've got in other words, life had begun to settle back in. So they are just showing up, doing their normal, ordinary, everyday stuff. They bring the baby and all of a sudden all heaven breaks loose again. In the temple, they hear the word of this man who they recognize as a devout and righteous man. And he is declaring of their son that he is the hope of Israel, the hope of the world, the light of the nations. And they are blown away again. Now you'd think, you know, angelic visitation, dream in the middle of the night, shepherds, all of the wonders. They'd kind of clue in that something. No, you kind of. How many of you recognize that a miracle is only as good as the receiving of it? And that it's not very long before you forget the miracle. You just settle back into normal. Right? Some of you, you've received enormous gifts from God in this last year. Right? You just received that. And, and where are you now? And it's not a, not a what are you going to do for me this year kind of a thing. It's just things settle into the normal routine. And we need to have eyes that are open uh, at all times, especially when nothing's going on. So that when God shows up on the scene, we have capacity to see with clarity and precision. And this is what's happening. Then he, but notice what he says to them. He blessed them, said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. He will be a sign that is spoken against and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sword will pierce your own heart too. This is a hard, hard thing. Forty days old, baby boy. You hear somebody who you recognize speaking with the voice of authority, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what does this prophet say? Oh, this isn't going to turn out good. I, you know, it's it's more than tea leaves at a at the fair, right? I mean, uh, you're going to meet a tall, dark stranger. No, no, no. Here's, a, here's somebody whose authority in the Spirit you recognize. And what does he say? Oh. Oh. 
I don't know how to, how to say this to you, Mom. But not everybody's going to like your boy. He is going to divide the nation. People are going to speak against him. He is going to be for the rising and falling of many in Israel. This is going to be his role. He will be a sign spoken against. The thoughts of the hearts of many will be revealed. Oh, and by the way, a sword is going to pierce your own soul too. This boy is going to be a disappointment to you. This boy will bring pain to you. Have a nice day. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, here these people are trying to do, do the right thing. And what do they hear? They hear a promise that they have every reasonable expectation will be delivered on. And what does it say? This is, this is, this is going to be tough. This is going to be hard. This is going to be a hard reality. He's going to be divisive. He's going to be controversial. He will be revelatory, he will be, and it will be personally painful for you. How many of you just think sometimes that maybe Mary and Joseph wish for a normal boy? Right? I mean, there is a price to pay for greatness. There is a price to pay for everybody related to the greatness. So that's the first snapshot. Then he goes on and, and, and Luke in fashion tells a second story. There was a prophetess, Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, so a tribe from the northern part of the country, very much their own homeland. He was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, coincidentally again, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child who all to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Just a, a quick snapshot, a second witness, says essentially the same thing as Simeon does. She again is devout, she is faithful, she has served the Lord for these 84 years. She is a, a person who's, and please notice again, another Lucan theme, the importance of women bearing witness to the reality. This is going to be a major theme for, for Luke. The, the, the role of women... So it's not just enough that a, a sacred man has prophesied life. Now a sacred woman does the same thing. Both voices are critical for Luke. Both the masculine and the feminine voice have equal weight for him, both, both throughout uh, Luke and, and Acts. And her, her response, confirming, witnessing to the new reality that is to come. So it's just an underlining thing. So I'm not going to say anything more about that, but just notice what happens next. Nothing. Mary, Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee, to their own hometown, and the child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Luke does this often, just a snapshot summary statement. Uh, please notice that for Luke's narrative, he doesn't say anything about wise men coming, Herod's purge, the trip to Egypt. None of that is germane to the story he wants to tell beginning in the next chapter. This is a particular individual focused in. So the return to Nazareth, Jesus is referred to as a child. Please notice. So he is now past toddler stage. So by the time they get back up into Nazareth, the boy is two years, at least two years of age or older. The wise men, for those of you who are keeping track, didn't show up on the nativity. They showed up about two years later. When the young boy, because this is why Herod killed everybody, every child two years and under, right? This is what's going on. So any of your sacred creches that you know you bring out, the nativity scenes that you bring out, if they have wise guys there, just put them back in the box, leave them there for two years. Yeah, they, don't, they don't belong. Nor camels for anybody who cares. But that's a whole other thing, just ruin Christmas. All right. Um, but notice again, this, the snapshot that Luke does here, is just, he just says he's just, for all intents and purposes, apart from these two or three snapshot moments and one which will follow briefly, he's just a normal boy. 
So you have these, these, these characteristics, these wonderful moments of just divine, powerful revelation filled with lots and lots of years of nothing. Right? This is going to be an important theme for Luke. I think it's going to be an important theme for some of us. Right? What is it that enabled, uh, enabled this? Well, he was filled with wisdom he, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, here's an illustration of that truth. Every year, uh, when his parents went, he went, his parents went up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. A couple of things real quick. Every year, not required, especially for poor people, to travel from the far north of the country, a, 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 a two-day journey from the far north all the way into Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. Uh, but they went up to the feast every year, and they took Jesus with them to the feast every year, according to the custom. And after it was over, remember, they would travel with a group of pilgrims. They would travel with family. They would travel with friends. So we're thinking, you know, here's people that ought to be reported to social services. Well, a couple of things. One, a boy of 12 is not a boy of 12 in our culture. This is a young man. Next year, he will be a fully functioning adult male in the synagogue at 13. So he is finishing. He's not a child. He, even though the language there is, is, is using that, he's 12 years old. He is now a boy. And not a boy in the sense of, of an eight or nine year old in our culture, not even a 12 year old in our culture, but a 12 year old who, remember, women were married at 12 to 14 in that culture. They were promised in marriage. So we're dealing here with, a, with a, essentially a young adult who has an expectation of responsibility for himself. In addition, they're traveling with family and friends from Jerusalem. Uh, to Jerusalem, rather, from Nazareth. So they're traveling in a group, and it comes to the time when they, when they head out, and they, they make plans to leave early in the morning. They overnight in Jericho and then go up because you don't want to go through Samaria. All that will become clear at some point, right? Um, and when they get to camp the first night, they discover that Jesus isn't with anybody. They have a reasonable expectation that he's going to be with. And so they make plans to turn around and head back up the hill the next day, back to Jerusalem. By the way, three days is not three full days, it's parts of three days. So the day of travel, overnight, and then they travel back up the next day and they find him on, the, on that third day. So, so this, is, this is a culture of trust. And with a, with a young adult, not with, a, with, a, with an infant, clearly, or a child even. So... Verse, the next verse goes on. He says, thinking he was in their, uh, uh, in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began to look for him among the relatives and friends, and they couldn't find him. So they went back to Jerusalem to look for him there. After three days, then, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Here's a snapshot of this culture. This is the, the structure of instruction. Where is Jesus? They've been looking around for him. Where is he? He's in the temple. And what is he doing? He's sitting and listening. And he's asking questions. This is the, the culture of rabbinic instruction. Uh, rabbinic instruction is not about lecture and note-taking. Uh, rabbinic instruction is about a question-and-answer conversation. And you could tell... The wisdom of the learner by the depth of the questions he or she, mostly he at this stage, asked in response to the question of the rabbi. Who is my neighbor? What does it say in the law? Which are the greatest commandments? You'll notice how often this question and answer response mechanism Jesus uses for the rest of his life when he wants to teach things that are really, really important or the telling of stories. So disputation, discussion by question, nature of questions reflected their learning. And here's, here's what the trick is, then why Luke concludes it. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Then he goes on and says this. Next one, thanks. Why were you searching for me? Anybody disappointed in your kids? No? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So here's the tension that begins to develop. Jesus was a difficult teenager. Jesus was a disappointment to his parents. Hardest thing in the world for parents to do is to let your kids go. Most important thing for parents to do is let your kids go. They start leaving home at about six months. Right? They begin to, do, they begin to exercise their own independence. They, they, you start to see personality begin to emerge. Right? And they start to notice that they're not you and you're not them. Well, this obviously, and especially in a culture here where, 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 where Jesus is now beginning, and this is not the first time, it's not the last time that they're going to be disappointed with him. This is not exactly what we signed up for. Why are you doing this to us? I'm not doing it to you. Didn't you know? And, and again, here's Jesus' self-awareness. Remember, he has grown in wisdom. He's grown socially. And he has a sense of, of, of who he is. Why were you searching for me? He has a deeper awareness. Didn't you know I was going to be in my father's house? A deeper awareness of his own reality. Now, he doesn't quite know, and I don't want to mess anybody's theology up, but he doesn't know what to do with this yet. He recognizes, this is why these two stories come together, he has been given to God. Right? He recognizes Mary and Joseph, if you will, as his foster parents. As his, as, his, as his stewards. But he knows who his father is like you all know who your father is. And yet at the same time he has this awareness, well, where else would I be but my father's house? There's a, there's a pull, there's a draw to the temple that he is evincing here. He is suggesting, is a, is a driver for him. This, by the way, is... Please notice, this is the sword that begins to pierce Mary's heart. Simeon's sword. She's beginning to experience what it's like to be the parent of a boy who's not going to dance to your tune. Who's going to be his own person. And yet notice what comes next. So they went back down the hill to to Nazareth and he was obedient to them. His mother now treasured all these things in her heart. In the meanwhile, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Just a huge text that we've just done a kind of a thousand foot flyover this morning. But I need you to sit with me on this. He was obedient to them. So he has a deep awareness of who he is as his father's son that is still kind of sketchy, doesn't quite know yet how to deal with this. He's still got a lot more growing up to do. Right? And this is what Luke is saying to us. He has an awareness, but it needs to be shaped. And so this... He, and then the text goes silent for the next 18 years. We have no further stories. When we next pick up chapter 3, he's 30 years of age. So this is just a snapshot. And what is he doing in the middle of that? He's growing up. He's becoming a man. He is growing into his own sense of self. He was obedient to them. And he was submissive to his parents. And notice Mary's response. She hangs on to this without trying to make sense of it. So what is, what is the message here? A couple of things, real snapshot, and then I want to ask you to think about what it means for us. Jesus, the Messiah who's coming, this is what Luke is saying, he's for the poor. He is Israel's Messiah, but he's also the hope of the world, and particularly for the outsider. He is devout. 
and attested to, borne witness to by the devout. He grows up, he is fully human, but he has a sense of identity that is beyond that. But he is also divisive and disappointing and dashes expectations. So what do we do with this? Here's a couple of things I want you to take away with from you this this morning. First of all, Simeon and Anna were able to participate in wonder because they showed up. Let me say that again. Simeon and Anna, these holy people, notice the twin characteristics that Luke makes of them. They're devout, they're righteous people. What are the markers of that? They keep showing up at temple. They're showing up in their own lives. They're, they're, they have received the promise of God, but they, they, they keep showing up. These are, these are what I call Advent people. Advent is the season of expectation. No, it's the season of expectancy. It's the season of expectations without demand. So they just keep showing up. Now, what happens had he not been paying attention? Now, please notice, she's 84 years old. We don't have any real sense of how old he is. But the text lends the idea that he's an old man who has been promised at some point in his past journey that he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And what does he do? Every day, he attends to the work of the Spirit. He just shows up in his own life. I think you've got to know what the takeaway is. Do you want to see God at work in your life? Then show up in your life. Don't let the promise of a future blind you to the present. This is, this is the biggest temptation for us. The, the most difficult place for any of us to be ever is where we are. We're thinking about the future. We're regretting the past. We're anxious about what's coming. We're trying to figure out where... No, no, no. Yeah. Be where you are. You have capacity for the moment and nothing else. You have no capacity for the future. None. You know why? Because you don't get a future. You just get one blessed day after another. Best way to ruin capacity for tomorrow's today is by worrying about tomorrow today. So here's Simeon and Anna. How does their devotion express itself? They're just people of the Spirit doing everyday ordinary stuff one day at a time. Yeah? But here's the second thing. When Simeon saw Jesus... What he didn't see were the external disqualifiers for Jesus' being Messiah. Here's what I mean. Who were these people? They were nobody. Not only were they nobodies, in that culture, they were less than nobodies. They were not people of prominence, as one might expect for a Messiah to be born. In fact, they came bringing two pigeons to redeem their son. They were poor people. So they ought to have been disqualified by appearances. But Simeon, empowered by the Spirit, showing up in his own life, Anna, same way, did not let who they saw blind them from who they saw. This is a critical moment for us. Especially in our community. Is it not important? How many of you want to be seen for what you are, not for what you are appearing to be? This is the critical thing. I want to, I want to know people empowered by the Spirit, not defined by the external. They are not blinded by what they saw. Another point that I want to underline here, sometimes faithful following. And some of you are right in the middle of this right now. Faithful following is difficult over time. And especially if there's no reinforcement. 
Some of us this year particularly have been, have been taught to walk by faith. And how does God teach us primarily to walk by faith? He tells us something back over here. And then it's complete dead silence for years and years and years. Can I get a witness? Right? And what's the temptation? To give up. Not to show up. Not to, not to trust. Not to... No, 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 no. What does Mary do? Treasures it in her heart's heart and keeps showing up every year at Jerusalem. What does Simeon and Anna do? They've heard the word. They keep showing up. That's what faith does. It keeps showing up. It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up, even though it doesn't work. We are the microwave faith generation. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. You're built for more than microwave. You're built for a faith that has you consistent in keeping promises for decades without necessary reinforcement. This is important whether we're talking about marriage. It's important whether we're talking about discipleship and following Christ. This is important for whether we're talking about being a person of integrity. Some of you have had your integrity tested at work this year. And it would have been easier for you. And it will happen again. It will happen again where you will be able to take advantage, but because you're a disciple of Jesus, you won't. And then you will... You, here's what we do. Don't I get a, a trophy? Don't I get an attaboy? Don't I get a, a, a something? Don't I get like the, a prize for not caving? No. No, no, you're just faithful. That's, that's, that's your prize right there. That's it. Isn't that frustrating? He doesn't need more people who get a trophy for showing up. He needs more people who are going to show up trophy or not. Who are going to do the right thing because it's the right thing, whether it works or not. Whether there's recognition or not. Whether you're awarded or not. Yeah? And then the final thing I want to I wanna underline, um, and this is the hardest one for me, because I know w- what, it, what it means for some of I know what it has meant for me, and that is some of, you, some of you are in places of disappointment with Jesus, and you need to get used to it. He does not come to be your Messiah. He becomes to be the hope of the world. And what that means is, while you are part of and get to share in the wonder of His coming, it's not all about you. It's for others beyond you. And that will sometimes be disappointing for you because the way that He might, and this is, I'm trying to find a delicate way to say this, but He might step on you to get to somebody else. Is that okay? But you know what I mean. This is a year in which I want more than ever before as I head into this new year to be used by Jesus. How about you? Now, what's it going to take for us? It's going to take just showing up. It's going to take just being faithful. It's going to take not always getting, getting, getting rewarded for doing the right things. Please notice again Mary's response. We don't have to make sense of it. It doesn't have to fit into our paradigm of how life ought to be. We're just going to keep walking. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, for, for presence and promise. Um, Lord, it is really hard for us because we recognize in, in many, many ways, Lord, this is, this is our story. And 
whether for individuals in here, for us as a church, I just want to push into this for a couple of minutes. I sense there are some of us, Lord, who um, who have been disappointed. But, Lord, you're really teaching them that it's not about what they see with their eyes. It's about what they see empowered by the Spirit. And they need to show up. And keep showing up. And keep being faithful. Whether it works or not. Continually praying for the eyes of the Spirit to see past what they see. And so I pray, O Lord, that as we transition here into worship and response and prayer, that You would call us, that You would draw us to Yourself. We want to be people like Simeon and Anna, Mary and Joseph, who are characterized by devotion, by faithful devotion, even though we're disappointed sometimes, even though we don't get what we want sometimes, even though we get used up sometimes. We want to be those kinds of people that you can trust. So help us, I pray. Help us, I pray. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.